Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show today. We are continuing our series on the Synod of Dort. It is the 400-year anniversary of this very important event in the history of the church. Can one of you brothers quickly pick us, uh, bring us up to speed about what this event was? It was an event in which those that were in the Reformed Church in Holland were responding to challenges to the doctrines of the Belgic and also the Heidelberg Catechism, but primarily to the Belgic, with how does God save sinners? Um, So these were questions dealing with what theologians would call um, soteriology, the way of salvation. Um, And there were people that were saying that, no, um, God is not central in the saving of sinners, that man actually plays a significant role um, at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. And the Reformers were responding and saying, no, um, it's all of grace from the beginning to the very end. And so... It's really dealing with how does a person become right with God and stay right with God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yesterday— Which I would say is the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yesterday we began looking at that acrostic that was uh, popularized after the Synod of Dort, TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, and we looked at total depravity yesterday. But I think we need to remind our listeners of what we mean by that and what we don't mean by that, and how is this— doctrine different than what we see in much of evangelicalism? Josh, let me begin, perhaps, what we don't mean by that. When we, when we use the term total depravity, we don't mean that there is no good in people. Uh, that's not what it means at all. Uh, there, <coughs> there is much good uh, in all people. Uh, every person is made in the image of God um, and reflects something of God. Um, and even fallen people are capable of good um, and uh, capable of cooperating together for good. And there's, there's things that we can cooperate on as believers. We can cooperate uh, with unbelievers of goodwill on many things. So when we say total depravity, we're not saying that people, whether saved or unsaved, are totally evil. What we're saying is that the taint of evil is pervasive that we have inherited it uh, from our first parents, Adam and Eve. And because of that inheritance of sin and because it is pervasive, because it taints everything in our lives, poisons everything, um, so that even at our best, we're broken. Because of that, we are separated from a holy God and dead in our sin, apart from Christ, and without hope, except in God's sovereign mercy. Can I get in there with a scalpel real quick and talk about what you were saying about human beings being good? Because I totally agree. This is how I, I would put it to my congregation, is that in our essential nature, in our essence, we are not just good, we're very good because we're made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't change. In our nature, our fallen nature, 
we are completely wicked and and fallen away from God, wrath-deserving sinners. Do you think you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Can I just say it from a slightly different direction again? No, no. <laughs> we don't believe in absolute depravity. Mm-hmm. We're not as bad as we could be. Right. Right. Um, we're not wholly evil, and because this isn't hell on earth, right? That's hell. Yep. The absence of any good. Right. We're not there. What we mean by total depravity is that it affects every part of our being. It affects our will. It affects our emotions. It affects our attitudes. It affects our actions. It affects our words. Whatever you want to do. It, the, the the fall tainted every aspect of our being. It's total in its effect. Mm-hmm. It's not total in its degree. Right. So the, we're not wholly evil, but the problem is this. We're not wholly good. And that's where the issue is. Yeah. We have to be completely good in every aspect in order to be right with God. Yeah. Yes. But we're not. Right. Evil is there in everything that is said, done, thought, every action, every attitude, whatever it is. That's the totality of our depravity. Right. In many ways, and if I could maybe just give one more illustration from from the heart of our faith as to how total depravity works. You know, we we often just assume that it was human evil that put Jesus on the cross. And of course that's true, but you turn that turn the, the gem of the cross another way for another shaft of light to come through it. It was actually humanity at its best that put Jesus on the cross. The two of the greatest human achievements on a human just think of it on a human level. Roman law and Jewish piety were two of the greatest achievements of the ancient world. Jewish ethic, ethical monotheism and Roman law were, at the time, were admired throughout the, the known world as the greatest of what human beings have to offer. Both of those, those two things, Roman law and Hebrew faith, conspired together to put Jesus on the cross. Another side of this that I think sometimes is not talked about is we don't just simply believe in total depravity. We believe, and this is the offshoot of this, we believe in total inability. Yeah. Right. And that part, I think, sometimes isn't talked about. It's not just that we're not good. Yeah. Every Christian would agree with that. We can't do anything about it. Right. Let me, and one of my favorite illustrations of that from Scripture is found in the second chapter of Mark, where uh, some men bring their friend to Jesus on a pallet. He's a paralytic. He's completely paralyzed. He's completely helpless. He can do nothing for himself. And there's a couple of things going on here. Number one, it's, it's an actual incident of the ministry of Jesus, and Mark is going to tell us about it. But I think Mark is also giving us a vivid illustration of the saving work of Christ, that this man is completely helpless. He's on his back. He's on this pallet. He can't get around on his own. Somebody has to carry him. And they carry him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, and first of all, they lower him through the roof, remember? And they, his friends dig a hole in the, in the roof and lower, lower him in. And Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. There's nothing he can do. 
Jesus just gives him this gift of life and then says, get up and walk. Yeah. It's, a, it's a picture of salvation, and it's a picture of the totally helpless nature of where we are in total depravity, that we are completely helpless except that Christ intervened. You know, I, not to, I don't want to make light of this doctrine at all, but there actually is something very helpful in pop culture that illustrates this as well, which is from the movie The Princess Bride when Billy Crystal's, you know, the, the, the hero is brought in and he's dead on the table and the, and the other guy says, well, the, he's... The listeners cannot see that I'm now physically shaking my head at Josh. <laughs> but he goes, well, what can you do with him? He's dead. And Billy Crystal says, ah, but he's only mostly dead. And I think that that right there, that really illustrates this, this divide between historical Calvinism and, and Arminianism or even semi-Pelagianism. Calvinism says that man is totally dead and a dead man can't do anything. He right. is unable to come to God. Right. The other views say, well, man is only mostly dead. Um, he, he can, he, God gives him a little assistance and then man puts in his, his effort and then that, that gets us the rest of the way. But that is not the view of, of total depravity. Not only is man corrupted and sinful, but he's unable. And this is from 1 Corinthians 2, 14, where Paul is laying this out to the Corinthians. He says this, that the natural person, and at that point he's talking about the person who's not been born again, that would be the spiritual person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able, there's the ability, to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so scripture talks about our inability to come to God. And I think this is the the truth that, that Paul is really laying out in Ephesians 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We didn't have a choice. We are following what we were by nature. And then he goes on to say, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Yep. It, it's just describing what was, what's the reality of every human heart that we followed desires and sinful passions and we didn't have a choice about it. That's right. But the great news, and this is why it's so important to understand this, if I have a role in saving myself, if it's because of some goodness in me, then I get glory. Yeah. Right. But the true divide comes in verse four. But God. Yeah. What's the only difference? The difference is God. Right. Right. God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. And, and to me, this is where total depravity becomes such an important issue because when I recognize, Jonathan Edwards would say that when he sees the sin in his own life, it's, it's as if he's looking into the very abyss of hell. And he says, and I look at that and I say, when I begin to understand that, then I really truly understand grace. I understand mercy. I understand God's love. Yeah. Because he didn't die for something that was worthy. He died for something that was depraved yep. and distorted and marred. Amen. And he made a difference where there wasn't one. And I really think it does make a difference on how much we magnify God and his grace and his mercy and his love. Yeah. Well, and if we don't deal like, so our, our brother Jonathan is, um, 
You know, he's been missing from the studio because he's undergoing uh, treatment for cancer. And if that doctor doesn't deal with the cancer in the most aggressive way, in the way that actually cures him of cancer, then that cancer is going to come back and it's going to take his life. If we deal with sin in a superficial way, then we're actually going to give less um, of a gospel and that less of a gospel actually will not penetrate to the heart of man. You and I know how guilty we actually are. This is one of the practical implications of, of total depravity is that it hits us, it helps us face reality. Isn't it, isn't it comforting when you hear a preacher preach and he starts exposing the sins of your heart and he exposes the sins of his own heart and you think, <laughs> oh, I'm not the only one that that's bad, that, that is right. that bad. Right. Yeah, it, there, there is... Uh... <laughs> there's actually great hope in discovering how helpless you are apart from Christ. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that, that's the beginning of the gospel. Um, and, and to think, to, to hang on to the thought that there is something in me that can please God, that there is something in me that can get my act together. Um, and by the way, I'm always, my, I'm always about to get my act together, guys. It's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> so you just watch. Yeah. And but but I mean, obviously I'm being facetious, but how do we how we cling to that, don't we? Yeah. We cling to that. I'm going to get my act together. No, we can't. We are dead in our trespasses and sin apart from Christ. But think how much more that we can be gracious with other people that are outside of Christ. Yes. I mean they're doing what by nature they have to do. Yes. That doesn't excuse their sin, but it does help explain it. And it does help explain how then we need to interact with them with grace and show mercy to them because um, outside of the gospel, we would be the same. Yes. And that's not a cliche, that's reality. Outside of the gospel, we would be exactly like the worst of what we encounter in society. Absolutely. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We hope that this uh, discussion has been edifying to you. We will be continuing our discussion on the 400th year anniversary of the Synod of Dort tomorrow. Please tune in. 